0: Can you hear me now? Amen. To God be the glory. The devil's not going to get to victory today, I guarantee it. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. In chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse number 1 as we begin our study this morning through this wonderful Old Testament book. Notice what the scripture says, Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse number 1, we'll read the first three verses this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all of his labor, which he taketh under the sun? You may be seated this morning for prayer. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, Lord Jesus, I yield myself to you, only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts uh, through this scripture. And Lord, as we begin this study today, the devil has already done everything in his power to prevent this message from going out. So Heavenly Father, I pray in the name and through the blood of Jesus, Lord, that at the name of Jesus the devil shall flee and leave. He has uh, no power here. By the spirit the name of Jesus I pray that you was name. Amen and amen. In 1965, the Rolling Stones came out with a hit. Their hit song was called, Satisfaction. How many of you remember the Rolling Stones song, Satisfaction? Can I see your hands? All the old people, God bless you. That song, Satisfaction, was written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. I I can't get no. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. I can't get no. I can't get no. I can't get no satisfaction. No satisfaction, no satisfaction, no satisfaction. Long before Mick Jagger and Keith Richards pinned the words to that word to that song satisfaction, it could have very well been written by the man by the name of Solomon. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes in such a mighty powerful way that he asked and even influences us and questions whether or not where we find our satisfaction. When you think about Solomon you cannot help but notice that Solomon wrote three books in our Bible. The first one that he wrote was the Song of Psalms. He wrote this when he was a young man and when he was in love. The second one that he wrote was the Proverbs. He wrote the Proverbs when he was mature and full of wisdom. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as an old man, looking back over his life and noticing how he was filled with regret. And the regret came from the relationship that he had with the Lord and letting that slide. And so as Solomon let the relationship that he had with Jesus slide and fade from him, He looked back in writing the book of Ecclesiastes knowing that he was going to stand before God and give an account of his life. And when we think about the amazing aspect of Solomon's life, isn't it amazing that Solomon in one lifetime went from the song of songs to the vanity of vanities. Someone once said that this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, is the resident alien of the Bible. It's due, they say that because of its unusualness. There is a great unusual aspect of this book of Ecclesiastes. So, What do you mean, Pastor? Well, when you read it, you find that it is a very peculiar book. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see that he's talking about life from a perspective that Solomon says is under the sun. In fact, he uses that term under the sun 29 times. In chapter 1, in verse number 2, he talks about all that is vanity. And in verse 3, he says, What profit hath a man of all of his labor, which he taketh under the sun? He uses that term 29 times. It it is a very peculiar book. Number 2, it's also a very perplexing book. It's a book that makes us think. Uh, look at verse number 3 again. He asks this question. What profits a man that he is out of all of his labor which he does under the sun? What does it profit you doing what you're doing? What, what is it profiting you? The way you're living your life. It's a very perplexing book. It's a very pessimistic book. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, if, if you don't understand the background of this book, uh, you'll walk away from life saying, man, life is futile. It's just futile. As a matter of fact, look at verse number 14 of chapter 1. The Bible says in verse number 14, he says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I've seen it all. And it's all vanity, he says. It's a very pessimistic book. It's also a very problematic book. And many feel like Solomon. They ask themselves the question, Is life really worth living? As a matter of fact, you may be here today this very first day of 2017 and you're asking yourself that very question. Is life really worth living? It is a very problematic book but also it's a very profiting book. It profits us to read it. It's fit for the day that we're living. Mike Huckabee said that uh, this age in which we're living is a post-Christian era. Did you know that Solomon even said the same thing. He talked about the same instances. Look at chapter 3 in verse number 16. In chapter 3, in verse number 16, Solomon talked about the injustice of the justice system in his time. And look at what he says here. He says, and moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment. That wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. He said, it didn't matter where I went. If I went to church, there was sin. If I went to the to the judgment house, there was sin. If I went to the court system, there was sin. It was filled with iniquity. It's for a post-Christian generation. It is also not only a very profiting book, it's a very personal book. This is one man's journey with the Lord. When you look at the book of Ecclesiastes and you think about Solomon, you see his whole life's journey and his relationship with the Lord it's a very uh, philosophical book Uh, it talks about the meaning of life he talks about why we're here and what is the meaning of life the book of Ecclesiastes is a very pointing book it ultimately points us back to God let me show you turn to chapter 12 in verse number one in chapter 12 in verse number one notice what Solomon says here He says in verse 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He comes to the end of the book and he says, remember the creator, remember God. Remember to get back to God. You see, there are really only two lessons to be taught in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I hope you'll get this. If you'll get this, you'll get the whole book as we through these next few weeks as we go through it together. There are only two lessons in the book of Ecclesiastes. Lesson number one Nothing on this earth can fill the longings of the human heart. That's the first lesson. The first lesson of the book of Ecclesiastes is nothing. Nothing on this earth can satisfy the longings of your heart. You have to learn lesson number one before you can learn lesson number two. Lesson number two of this book is simply this. Only Jesus can satisfy the longing of every human heart. He's the only one that can do it. And so when we think about Solomon, we have to ask ourselves this question. How in the world did Solomon get in this situation? How did he get in this situation where he proclaims everything is vanity? We find in 1 Kings chapter 3, we find Solomon as a young man. And as a young man, we find Solomon forging a relationship with God. And that relationship was forged in such a powerful way that his heart was given to God and God received his heart. But something happened over the course of Solomon's life. Remember, Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible, outside of Jesus. And we find that as Solomon walked uh, through the course of his life, watch this. He walked away from God. He walked away from God. He started well, but he began to walk away from God. Listen to me very carefully. God never moved. He's always the same Many of us wonder about our relationship with God is because, listen, we have walked away from Him like Solomon Solomon walked away from God And as he began to walk away from God He he began to wane in his relationship with God And as he waned his relationship with God He says, I'm going to try to find satisfaction in other things in this world And time after time after time he tried to find satisfaction in many different things. It reminds me of a story when I was little. I used to build tents in my bedroom. Me and my brother, we'd make tents. How many of you built tents when you were a kid? Boy, when not that fun? That was a lot of fun. And so we'd go get mom's broom and we'd bring it into the room and we'd take the sheets off the bed or actually we'd go take mom's sheets off the bed because her bed was bigger than ours and we'd drag those sheets into our room and we would put them across uh, the sheet was on my bed and his bed and there was space in the middle and we'd put books to hold the, uh, the sheet and then we'd put a little stick or mama's broom we'd prop it up and make a little tent and without fail either me or my brother would always bump the stick and the whole contraption would come falling down. That's exactly what happened in Solomon's life. He built a house and a relationship with God. But as he walked away from God, the whole contraption came falling down. If your life is falling apart, maybe it's because you've turned your back on God and you've walked away from Him. Solomon said, oh, listen, I'm in a great, great danger here as I've walked away from God. It's like that little game my kids were playing last night. They were playing as they were waiting for the new year to come in. That little game, Jenga. That little game, Jenga, you get these blocks and you you put these blocks this way and then that way and then this way and then that way. And then you take turns pushing the blocks out. And as you push the blocks out and you pull it out, you try not to let the whole tower fall. And player by player pushes and pulls and tries to get that thing not to fall as they receive their blocks. But one false move, you pull out the wrong block and the whole tower falls down. That's what happened in Solomon's life. His whole life fell apart. The blocks begin to fall around his life. In the early years of his life, when he had a relationship with the God of heaven, and then, along the way, he made a series of bad decisions. And as Solomon made a series of bad decisions, he walked away from that fellowship that he had with God, and as his whole world became crashing down around him, he went from lifestyle to lifestyle to try to figure out, where does life find its satisfaction? Maybe Solomon one day, Later in his life, was walking down the halls of the palace, and he walked by the library, and he made his way into that library, and he pulled out the writings of his father David, <clears throat> and maybe he opened up the writings of his father David and found himself in Psalm chapter thirty-nine, and as he read Psalm chapter thirty-nine, maybe he came to that place in verse number in verse number nine of cha- verse number five of Psalms thirty-nine where the Bible says this, Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And maybe he cast his eye down to what his dad said in Psalm 39 and verse number 15, where, where David wrote, Surely, every man is vanity. And maybe Solomon took a step back and he said, That's it. Th- that's it. That's the story of my life. You see, contained in the Word of God, there's a verse that tells the story of your life. For Solomon, it was vanity. He said, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The word vanity is a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word, havel. The word havel in the Hebrew means that it's empty. It means that it's like a vapor. It's meaninglessness. I I like how Peterson wrote about it in in his paraphrase of the Bible. He uses the word smoke. He said smoke. It's nothing but smoke. It's all just smoke. It's the picture of looking at something and realizing that you're looking at nothing. Several months ago I I came out of my room. It was dark about midnight. I I needed me a little midnight snack. Anybody have midnight snacks? I was making my way there to the kitchen. We've got some beautiful big windows in our living room, and, and I was looking out that r- living room window, and I thought I saw the figure of a man. And so I, I looked, and I, I went into stealth mode, you know, where I crouched down, kind of went running around there, snuck up to the, to the light switch. And I flipped that light switch on very quickly there on the back porch only to find that it was a shadow that was being cast from the moon and the grill and the smoker and how they were lined up. I said, I'm glad that wasn't anybody. And I looked down and the dog turned its head up at me and looked said, are you an idiot? What are you doing? It was nothing. It was absolutely nothing. There was nothing there. One commentator said that this word, havel, is uh, the picture. It's a word picture. It's what's left when you pop a soap bubble. There's just nothing there. You see, Solomon was writing this book from the perspective of a believer who knew what it was like to have a relationship with God above the sun. But he was also lived his life for himself under the sun. And when he came to the end of his life, he realized that all of the efforts that he had participated in only took him away, further away from God. And so he comes to the conclusion and says, It's all smoke. It's all meaninglessness. It's all emptiness. We find here in the text, he calls himself the preacher in verse number 1. He calls himself the preacher because now that he's lived his life, And now that he's tried it all, he's coming with a message. And as he's coming with a message, he's saying, I am the teacher, I am the preacher, I'm the proclaimer. And there's some things that I want you to know. So the sermon that he's about to preach is going to center around the theme, Is Life Worth Living? Solomon is going to take us on a journey of his life. And he's going to show us all the stops that he made on the road to satisfaction. All the things that he tried, all the things that he invested in to try to find satisfaction in life. This morning, I want us to look at a few of these as we introduce this book. We find, first of all, as Solomon got on the highway of satisfaction, the first exit that he came to was the exit of learning. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 1 in verse number 12. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1, 12, and 13, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. First of all, Solomon tried education. He said, I'm going to try to see if I can satisfy my life by satisfying my mind. We know that Solomon was called the wisest man that ever lived. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says this, And Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. When Solomon wrote his song, everybody wanted to sing it. It was the local song on the radio. Everybody was excited about the song that Solomon had just wrote. His songs were the top seller of his time. He became an expert in every imaginable field. When it came to botany, the study of plant life, he was an expert. He was an expert in zoology, the study of animal life. He was an expert in orthonology, the study of bird life. He was an expert in endomology, the study of insect life. There was no area in his life that he didn't study and become an expert at. But I want you to find out what the Bible says, what it all came to. Look at what the Bible says in chapter 1 and verse 16. Notice what Solomon says about himself. He says, I communed with my hope." I am come to the to greatest state. I have gotten more wisdom than all that have been before. I had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. But look at the conclusion in verse 17. He says, And I gave my heart to knowledge and wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. He said, at the end of the road, when I came down to the end of the road, I found myself mad. I was crazy. I could not find satisfaction in learning. You're not going to find the real meaning of life. You're not going to find the real purpose in life through education. Now, I'm one for education. I'm one that." Went to high school, praise God, graduated, thank God. Went to college. Took me seven years to get my undergraduate degree, but bless God, I got it. Working a full-time job, being a full-time ministry, raising a family. Went right on with my graduate degree and got right on up there and got me a Ph.D. To God be the glory. Didn't think it ever going to happen. Two years of my life, I'll never get back. But if I tried to find real meaning in that... It'd be meaninglessness. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Now, I'm for education, but I'm here to tell you, for the most part, our postmodern education in America today is a mess. Now, I thank God for teachers, but listen to me, especially Christian teachers. I'm thanking God that we've got some godly Christian teachers. But I want you to listen to this. Did you know that you can take a class at the University of South California on how to take selfies? They got a 13 week class on how to take selfies. Got to get the right angle. Got to get the right light. But that's not all. Did you know that at Cornell University, they have a class that you can take on tree climbing? How to climb a tree. That'll bless your heart. Spend $120,000 for your kids to go to college and then climb a tree unlike anybody else in the neighborhood. We, we wonder why we're in a mess in America. We've got craziness going on. I thank God for our Christian teachers that are involved in education and, and do not believe in these things. But the fact of the matter is simply this. Anyone knows that those that have Jesus Christ understand that more about the meaning of life and the satisfaction that comes from life through having a relationship with Jesus Christ than any college professor on this planet who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Solomon tries to satisfy his mind with learning. And when he comes to the end, he says, it's meaninglessness. It's smoke. It's all smoke. And then number two, he gets back on the highway and goes on up to the next exit. He gets off at the next exit, and the next exit is laughter. He says, I'm going to try to find satisfaction in laughter. Look at what the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He said, I said in my heart, go now, and I will prove... Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, it is also vanity. He said, I'm going to try laughter. I'm going to try to laugh a little and enjoy life. He said, I tried to feed my mind and that didn't work, so now I'm going to feed my flesh. And I'm going to enjoy a little bit of of laughter. Now listen, I I love a good laugh, especially a good belly laugh. Man, I enjoy that. But that's not where I find my meaning in life. had a friend of mine that, Man, he was like Solomon. He was trying everything on the planet. So he thought, well, he's going to go into comedy. And he got up there and tried to do some comedy, and it didn't do anything but fall through. Fell flat on his face. You can't find fulfillment in life through laughter. If you were to walk by the palace at Solomon on any given night, you would have heard the roaring of laughter. You would have heard the loud music and the court gestures uh, jumping around in the lawn and... Everybody laughing and having a good time. That's what goes on in Athens on the weekend. Now listen to me very carefully. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. Man, our college students, they had a good time last night. Went over to Jeremy Sharpton's and just had a ball, just had a good time. Woke the neighbors up. But thank God the police didn't come out last night. But they had a good time. And here's the deal. Not a drop of alcohol was consumed. Uh, But if you were to go to Solomon's palace, you'd see all these things that were taking place. Uh, There was all these pleasures that that was happening. Here's the problem with trying to fulfill your life with pleasure. Listen to me, young people. Pleasure operates under a law of diminishing returns. What I mean by that is this. It takes stronger and stronger doses of the pleasure in order to get the same high that you had the first time. It's called the addiction principle. Uh, many times you might see on, on television someone that has uh, maybe uh, come clean of drugs and alcohol. And as they've come clean from that, they, 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 they kind of go with their life and all of a sudden they get in a rut. And they try to take the same amount they were taking. And they go back to the drugs. And and they try to take the same amount that they took when they stopped. And what happens? It shuts their system down. Most of the time they have heart attacks and they die. Why? Because the law of diminishing returns. It took more and more of the drug to get them high at the end. It's the same way with pleasure. You have to have more and more. And the more you party... And the more you think that you're a party animal, the less you realize, listen, you're not an animal. You're a creation of God. And you have a soul that's going to live forever. And you'll face God and have to answer the question, what you did with your life. So here's Solomon as he tries laughter. And he says, I've tried it. You see what he says there in verse number 1 of chapter 2. He says, it's also vanity. It's vanity. It means nothing. So he gets off of that exit and he gets back on the road of satisfaction and he goes up to the next exit. And he says, I'm going to get off at this exit. And he gets off the exit of liquor. He gets off the exit of liquor. Look at what he says in verse number 3 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says, I sought in my heart to give myself to wine, yet acquiring in my heart with wisdom to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men. He said, I'm going to get drunk. I couldn't find satisfaction in learning. I couldn't find satisfaction in in laughter. I'm going to find satisfaction in liquor. And so he went out and got him some alcohol. He became a connoisseur of all the fine liquor. If you'd gone to the palace, you'd have found a well-stocked bar. You'd have seen all the alcoholic beverages that Solomon tried. Now keep in mind, Keep in mind, this young man, as a young man, Solomon had a relationship with God. But now he has broken this fellowship with God. And now he's looking for satisfaction, not in the Lord, but he's looking for it in liquor. You will never find satisfaction of this life in a bottle. It'll never, I don't think for long. I think it was just a little while that he realized, man, this is not. But look at what the Bible says in verse number 3. He said, I sought in my heart to get myself into wine yet acquiring my heart with wisdom. He said, I tried to get wisdom in this as I'm, as I'm drinking this alcohol. He says, but I laid hold to folly. I couldn't stand up straight. I, I couldn't keep myself upright. I, I thought that this was going to, to help. I like what one commentator said. One commentator said that Solomon felt the burn of the booze as it went down his throat. A lot of people in America think they're going to find happiness and pleasure and satisfaction in alcohol. So you're being taught that this is what's going to make you happy. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was in my study one day. I was counseling actually a couple that wanted to get married. And they came in my office and they both gave me their testimony. And and, man, what a joy it was to hear they both received Jesus Christ. I'd actually led this uh, this lady to the Lord a few weeks earlier and she'd come out of, uh, out of a, a false religion and came to Jesus Christ and they sat there in my office and, and uh, as I'm counseling with them they said would you do my wedding our wedding and I said yeah well I'd be glad to I just have one request I'm going to ask you please I don't have any alcohol at the wedding to which the husband looked at me or the future husband said oh no sir he said you don't have to worry about that pastor that won't happen well, we went through our counseling session on the very last day of our counseling we're sitting in my office and the husband future husband looked up to me and he said I've changed my mind he said I've changed my mind we're gonna have we're gonna have alcohol at the wedding and so I just looked up and said "Well, okay I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do your wedding. I said, he said, you mean you just leave me out just like that because of that decision? I said, you said that we weren't going to have it. He said, well, well, why, Pastor? I said, listen, I've seen the damage that's done through this. I said, let me ask you a question, sir. Let me ask you this. Why do you want it? Why do you want it in the wedding? And this is what he said to me. Listen to me. Listen. This is what he told me. He said, I just want everybody to loosen up and have a good time. I'm here to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, in the, in the full cognitive arena of what little i got left in these 42 years of my life, the little bit of knowledge that I've had, listen to me, I've had more fun on accident serving Jesus Christ than the whole world's had on purpose trying to find it in a bottle. They came back and said, Pastor, we're not, we're not going to do it. We, 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 we're not going to do it. I gave them 24 hours to pray about it, to see if this is what, really what God wanted. They came back and they said, Pastor, we don't, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do it. We know that it's wrong. We know that this is a time that honors God, and we need to be in, a, in the full fullness of our mind and have our thoughts right. I don't know if you realize this or not, but did you know that one out of every 15 people who take a drink become alcoholics? One out of every 15. I heard this illustration. I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Suppose you went to the airport to fly across the country. And suppose you got in line, and as you got in line to get on that airplane, you, you got on the airplane and you, you sat down in your seat. And suppose the, uh, they began to taxi uh, away from there uh, where you loaded the airplane and they're going to the runway. And suppose the captain came on board and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you so very much for flying this particular airline. I want to tell you that this plane is a uh, 747. And this plane has a very interesting thing about it. One out of every 15 of the seats on this plane, when we're in midair, will fall through the floor. We don't know exactly... Which 15 seats will fall through the floor, but we do know that one out of every, or we do know that 15 seats are going to fall out of this plane. We do know that. Uh, We're glad you're with us. Pick any seats you want. Good luck. We'll see you when we get there. Let me ask you a question How many of you would fly that airline? How many of you would take a chance to fly that airline? Yet one out of every 15 will take their chance and and try their first drink and they'll become an alcoholic. Think about the sorrow that it causes. It causes such great sorrow. I was washing my car one day. It was a Saturday afternoon and 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 Miriam was pregnant with Alyssa, our first child. And and I was out there and it was a beautiful day. I was washing the car, 10 o'clock a.m. When all of a sudden I heard tires begin to squeal. And I look up. And when I look, here comes a Nissan Pathfinder. It had hit the ditch in front of my house and began end over end coming straight for me while I'm washing the car. My first response is, that car's coming in my yard. That car's coming. The, the car's coming in my yard. And I began to run. And Miriam was in the living room. She'll testify to this. She saw me. She said, Shane, all I saw was you bolt across the yard as fast as you could. I ran into the garage there of our home. And that Nissan Pathfinder crushed right on top of my car as I was washing it. Rolled off my car, rolled over my driveway, and ended up on the side of my yard. Man, I said, man, I just got that car. I just got it. God had given it to me, and then God took it away from me. And I obviously ran over there to make sure the individual was okay. And as I ran to the vehicle, there was liquor everywhere. There was a lady in the car. She had to be in her 20s. She was obviously at a at some kind of pool party. She even still had her bikini on, and she was there, and, and she was out of it. I mean, she was gone. Called 911. The ambulance and all came, and... She was still alive. She was so drunk. She just was like a doll. I mean, she just rolled around in there. And it wasn't any problems uh, uh, for her but, uh, uh, physically. But there was a, big, a lot of problems in concern of what happened to my vehicle. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, listen, it doesn't cause anything but sorrow. Liquor causes great sorrow. Solomon tried liquor. And as he tried it, when it was all over, he says, it is nothing but cause madness and vexation in my life. He said, it can't bring, no, it can't bring any satisfaction. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. You may be here today and you may be a sop drunk. You're not going to find any satisfaction in the bottom of that bottle. You can do your best to drown your sorrows to get rid of those things that you think that you're trying your best to get rid of in that bottle. And it may numb you for a little while, but I promise you when you wake up with that headache and hung over, you'll realize your problem's still there. You can't find satisfaction in liquor. Solomon found it out. So Solomon got back on the road of satisfaction. He said, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go on down the road a little ways, and, and I'm going to try something else. And so he got down the road, and he got off at another exit. He got off at the exit of luxury. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 2, beginning in verse number 4. He said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water. Uh, to water within the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. Also had great possessions and great small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem uh, before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and particular treasures of kings and in all the providence. Oh, he tried his best to find his pleasure in luxury. I'm going to be luxurious. I'm going to gather everything that I can. And oh, what a luxurious life that he lived. He did everything to have luxury. He made great works. He built houses. He planted these vineyards. All that he done. When it was all said and done, did you know they say that Solomon's worth was around $20 billion? He was the wealthiest man on the planet. And as he was the wealthiest man on the planet, he did what every wealthy individual does. In regards to when work becomes your satisfaction, he became a workaholic. What do you mean? Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all of my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. He said, I became a workaholic. From sun up to sundown, I worked and worked and worked. And that was the joy of my heart. I was such a workaholic. It looked so good. It gave me such wealth. But what was the conclusion? Look at what the Bible says in verse number 11. He says, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. He said, I had it all. I had everything. I worked so hard to get it. And it didn't bring me any satisfaction. You may be here today. You may be working oh so hard. And the harder you work, the more you lose your family. Or the harder you work, the more you lose your relationship with God. Oh, listen, will you learn from what Solomon said? Don't try to find satisfaction in your own luxuries Solomon said this isn't going to work so Solomon gets back on the highway and he goes down the road and he gets off at another exit he gets off at the exit of lust notice what the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse number 8 the Bible says that he gathered this silver and gold in particular treasures of kings into the providence and watch this look at what he says here he says I got me men singers and women singers, and watch this, here it is, the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And I don't know if you highlight in your Bible, but out under that word delights. That word delights has a root word, and the root word of this means breasts. When you carry out this word in the context that it's written in, it carries the... Intention that Solomon is proclaiming that he tried sexual pleasures He says I'm going to do sexual I'm going to find sexual experience That's going to be where I'm going to find My fulfillment That's where the satisfaction is going to come from Oh listen, if there's ever been a book in the Bible That proclaims where we're at today This is it We're living in such an oversexualized world today You, you can't even watch a hamburger commercial So what did he do? Oh, did he ever have sexual experiences? He went from marriage to marriage, from strip bar to strip bar, from whorehouse to whorehouse. He did everything that he could. At the end, it says in the Bible, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Had a 1,000 women overall. Can you imagine what it was like when the in-laws came? Yet we find that in America, we're being told that in order to have sexual fulfillment then you, you just need to understand that we're all animals and we're just sexually free. Never before have we ever in, encountered such a time that we're living in today where open marriage is so popular, even here in this area. God designed your wife for you, wife He designed your husband for you, and you don't need to share each other with anybody. Look at what happens here in the text. He says that he found these delights of the son of men and these, these sexual uh, experiences that he was having. And, and he says, oh, I'm just, I'm just having such a wonderful time. And, and no, he doesn't. And it's the same thing in America today. We have the experts out there who have been, as Vance Havner says, educated far beyond their own intelligence. And they say st- simple stuff like this. They say, well, you, you, you're just an animal. You've got animal instincts. You just need to be an animal. Here's my question. Do you really want to live down there in that level? Have no self-control over yourself? Have no governance over your hearts? Many years ago, some of you have lived through it. The sexual revolution where it was declared in America that... It's it's just free. It's just freedom. Just be free and love each other. You look back today and what has it gotten us? I'll tell you what it's gotten us. It's gotten us broken homes, broken families, teenage pregnancies, and sexually transmitted diseases. That's exactly what's happened today because of that proclamation. The bottom line is you can't lastingly satisfy the desires of your heart through lust. And so all through the book, he, we find we find Solomon. He's just going back and forth and back and forth, saying, "I tried this, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this, I tried that." And then we come to verse. Then we come to chapter twelve, and he realizes that he has been on the I ten loop the whole time. He's just been going round and round and round. One uh, writer writing about the book of Ecclesiastes, says Ecclesiastes really is a merry-go-round book. Solomon gets off right where he got on. He went all the way around the world and didn't end up anywhere. He's on a merry-go-round. And so he comes to chapter 12 and he remembers where his satisfaction really came from. Solomon says, and Chapter 12, in verse number 1, he says, Remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth. You know what he tries? He gets off at the exit of the Lord. He's tried learning. He's tried laughter. He's tried luxury. He's tried lust. And he finally comes to the conclusion, I I need to get back to the Lord. And he says three things here. You see what he says? He says, Remember time to to recall. Take some time to think about it. Remember when you were with the Lord. Remember the time that you spent with the Lord. Remember the love that you had for the Lord. Remember the, the longing that you had for the Lord. Remember. He says, remember now thy creator. Use the word creator. Remember God. God didn't go anywhere. He's right where you left him. Come back to him. And then he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. I got saved when I was 14 years old. You need Jesus in the young years of your life. When you're young and you don't know where to go, you don't know who to turn to, you need to be turning to the Lord. As a 14-year-old boy, I'll never forget. I gave my life to Jesus And I so wanted to know more about him and got plugged into Sunday school and eventually surrendered for baptism. I thank God for salvation getting saved as a teenager. You also need Jesus in the maturing years of your life. When you graduate from high school and you get that wild hair. And you want to go sow your wild oats, remember God. You better remember God. You'll find your place like Solomon, vanity and vexation of spirit. I am absolutely crushed, he says. I haven't found any satisfaction in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Jesus in the maturing years of your life. And you need Jesus in the aging years of your life. When you're old. Just a few weeks ago, I was able to visit with Bobby Orr. One of our dear members sit right there. Him and Sharon were at home and I sat down in their home and I began to talk to Bobby. And one of the things Bobby said, he just simply said this. He said, I wish I'd have gotten saved a lot younger in my life. Oh, listen. You think about the years that the locusts have eaten away. Bible tells us that Jesus Christ can redeem those years back to you. You need Jesus in the aging years of your life. Oh, don't be like Solomon. Solomon blew the smoke of a wasted life. And he said, it's all vanity. It's all meaninglessness. Solomon's life was wasted. He wasted his life the wisest man in the bible until he realized he needed to get back to jesus just see what happened in his in the older part of his life notice what the bible says in chapter 12 in verse number 2 he says there he says in verse 2 of chapter 12 he says while the sun or the light and the moon or the stars be not darkened nor watch this the clouds return after the rain he's talking about here depression He's saying, as I got older and I realized the state that I was in, uh, the, the clouds return after the rain, I, I, I just feel a great deal of depression, he says. He says in, in verse number 3 that his arms begin to get weak. You see, in, in, the, in the day, he says, that the keepers of the house shall tremble. My arms are weak. He tells there in the text, he says, the strong men shall bow themselves. The legs, he's talking about there, the legs are going to buckle as the arms begin weak. He goes on to say there that the grinders cease to cause and they are few. He's talking about his teeth. He said, now my teeth are falling out. And he says, those that look out of the window, they be darkened. He says, now cataracts has done set in in my eyes and I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time seeing. He says, and the doors shall be shut uh, in the streets and the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up in the voice of the birds and the daughters of the music uh, shall be brought low. He says, I can't hear the birds singing like I used to. They're they're not as crisp and clear. He goes on to talk about in verse number five, he says, the almond tree shall flourish. He says, my hair is now white I'm old and then he paints a picture of death in verse number six look at what he says there in the text he says or even the silver cord be loosed and the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel be broken at the cistern he says it's just like my life is like a, a bowl that's suspended by a line a wire and somebody's cut the cord and and it's come crashing to the, to the ground. Or it's like a well that has a bucket in, the, in, the, in the, the bucket. Where the bucket joined now the bucket's gone and the rope's ruined. He says, my life is like a well broken at the cistern. He says, I can't even. I went to pump out the water and it broke. My life's broken. And then he comes down to his death look what he says in verse number 13 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and I close he says let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter fear God keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God shall bring every word into judgment and every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil he just simply said this here's the end of the matter Fear God. Did you know that's the Old Testament way of saying give your heart to Jesus? Give your heart to Jesus, Solomon says. Here's the end of it. He said, I've tried it all. I've looked at it all. I've done it all. I've participated in it all. It didn't bring anything but vanity, vexation, and a broken down body. So fear God. Give your heart to Jesus. And trust Him with all your heart. You know what I find fascinating? I find fascinating that Paul gave a great commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. In Philippians chapter number 3, in verse 7 and 8, we find the close of Ecclesiastes. Watch this very quickly, and I'm done. He says in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Do you see what Paul said? Paul said, I, I've had a lot of things, and what I've found out is this. It's all loss. In fact, he says it's dung. The word dung there is a very, it's a fun word. It's what your dog does on the carpet. When he's not supposed to, he's supposed to go outside. Dung. Isn't that fun to say? Dung. It's funny to hear the preacher say it, isn't it? How about I give it to you in the Greek? The Greek word is skubala. That's a funner word, isn't it? Skubala. Paul says, everything that I have is skubala. In fact, it's more emphatic in the Greek. It means human excrement, not dog. He said, everything that I have is skubala. And what Paul is basically saying is exactly what Solomon said. In this world, if the world offers lust, give me Jesus. Because it's all scubala. If the world offers me luxury, scubala. Give me Jesus. If the world offers me liquor, scubala. Give me Jesus. If the world offers me laughter, scubala. It's Jesus. If the world offers me learning, scubala. It's Jesus. Everything I've got is because of Jesus. So you want to find true satisfaction in your life? Quit going around the I-10 of your life and come back to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. You may be here today and maybe you have experienced these things that Solomon's talking about in this Old Testament book. Maybe you've experienced and you've tried to find satisfaction in learning or laughter or liquor or luxury or even your own lust. And it's time to come to the Lord. Here we are at the beginning of 2017. What a great time, what a great time to give your heart to Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. In that 1965 song by the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no, no, I can't get no satisfaction. Is that the story of your life? We were in good company this morning. Solomon said that was the story of his life. And as that was the story of his life, he came to the conclusion that he needed the Lord. And maybe you're here and maybe you've tried to find your fulfillment in learning or laughter or luxury. I want to encourage you today. Why don't you come back to Jesus? Oh listen, you're here and you're a Christian but the fact of the matter is there was a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you are today. Quit going around in circles, dear friend. Come back to Jesus. Maybe you're here and maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Let me encourage you today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the Lord wants you to be saved. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed here today, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says do. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you shall be saved. If you're here today and you'd like to get saved, why don't you say this to God right where you're sitting? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I invite you to come into my heart and clean my sin. I repent of my wickedness. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you in Jesus name and with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning maybe you're here and maybe you prayed that little prayer maybe you gave your heart to Jesus oh what a great time the first day of 2017 you give your heart to Christ if you're here today and With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and you say, yes, pastor, that's me. Today I gave my heart to Jesus. Today I I got saved. I wonder, would you just lift your hand up nice and high and say, that's me, preacher, I did that today. I, I gave my heart to Christ. God bless you. Is there one? Is there another? Thank God for that little hand that went up. Is there someone else? I prayed this morning, preacher. I asked Jesus to come into my heart today. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I got saved a long time ago. But like Solomon, I I went away from the Lord. And I see from his word today, I need to come back to him. If that's you this morning, would you let me pray for you? I'm not going to come get you, but I am going to pray for you. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, would you just lift your hand up nice and high? Let me pray for you today. God bless you. Thank you. I see you. God sees you more than anything. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you're here and you want to join our church on this very first day, I'm going to invite you to come. If you're here and you gave your heart to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come. If you're here today and you're a Christian but you're away from the Lord, we got an altar up here. You just come on up and make these steps an altar. Come get right with God. Whatever your need, you come today. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you move and speak in the only way you know how, through the Holy Spirit of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. As we sing, you come on to Christ.